Section one of Dog Heroes of Many Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Lives. Chapter one Tig the Goat Herd, a dog of the Sierra Nevadas. The puppy was yellow yellow as a tawny tiger while all his little brothers and sisters were nearly white also he was bigger than they and claimed more than his share of his mother's attention tim borlin proprietor of the pine tree inn laughed as he looked down for the first time on the little family he's king all right that yellow feller and i guess he'll be the one i'll pick for my goat dog blind as a bat but he's got the nerve to shove any of the others out in his way here you tig your mother'll be glad to get rid of you i've got another mother waiting for you she'll bring you up on a different plan borlin plucked the small morsel out of the squirming huddle of blind puppies and carried him off to the goat corral in an enclosed stall lay a mother goat bleeding her sorrow at having been bereft of her own baby there you are susie that's tig now if you take to him and bring him up right he'll be worth one of these days a sight more in your own offspring susie did not approve at all of this substitute for her own kid she looked daggers at it but when the blind baby proceeded to find its dinner as if it were very much at home her brain reeled and she saw things in a mist it was not canny open-mouthed she regarded him as a thing to be dealt with when she could gather her wits together when Tige had finished his repast, Susie began to put the pieces of the picture puzzle together in her brain, and decided that this was a changeling and not to be tolerated. She arose, lowered her head at the yellow intruder, and would have butted him for his impudence had not Tim lifted him out of harm's way. Thus the goat Susie began the rearing of her foster child. At feeding time only was the puppy left to her ministrations, for in these first days she did not like him at all. Tig himself, all unconscious of the change in his source of life, fed peacefully and slept by himself between meals, growing in strength if not in grace. Never did he become a beauty. It was not to be expected with his mongrel ancestry. On the morning of the ninth day of his existence his eyes popped open, and behold, although his mother apparently was a goat, he was not in the least surprised. Susie by this time had become reconciled to the new order of things, and actually began to grow fond of the puppy. They were a strange pair, but now that all was understood between them, Tig slept snuggled up to Susie and became as her very own. When she was let out into the corral, he followed at her side, and she unwinkingly braved the astonishment of the other goats, who had no puppies to feed and love. As a fact, Susie seemed to take a certain pride in the distinction, as one who has been set to rear a princeling. Pine Tree Inn was a roadside affair of very primitive character. Seldom did anyone come that way save an occasional prospector or a party of cowboys. It was a shelter simply for the chance wayfarer. Travelers were few on this lonely road, and the Borlands eked out their small living by keeping a herd of goats. For there was coarse grass on the ranges and succulent shoots on the burned grounds, and in time of stress they could climb to heights impossible for cattle. 
It was no easy matter, however, for Tim Borland to keep them together on the range. Too poor to keep a herder to tend a flock, he depended on a dog for that duty. A dog furnished its own clothes and asked no hire. But the dog who had herded for Tim was drawing to an end of a long and useful life. Hence, Tige's training. Curious, it seems, but all the training Tige ever got came from the goats. Tim never lifted his hand except to transfer him from his box to Susie and back again during the early days of her rebellion. When she accepted him, Tim's duties were over. When Susie fared forth once more with the flock, Tide gambled at her heels. As he grew, the superior nature of the dog showed itself. Before he was weaned, instead of following, he began to lead the whole herd. When he was a year old, they called him master. He herded them, and they obeyed. Where he led, they followed. Waking, he guarded them. Sleeping, they sheltered him in their midst. At the least stir of uneasiness or hint of danger, Tige was up and alert, ready to ward off the foe. There were foes aplenty, too. On a still night, Tige could hear afar off, on the edge of the pine woods that bordered the feeding grounds, the ho-ho-ho of the coyotes. Sometimes in the moonlight he would see them running along the ridge, or sitting in a melancholy row watching the flock they were too cowardly to attack. Then Tige would gather his family together and growl defiance to all of wolf kind, although any one of them could easily and alone have made an end of him. Generally speaking, Tige just laughed at coyotes. But a bear now, that was something to be considered seriously. Tige knew that a bear must be avoided at all costs, and if he caught the bear scent in the air, that day the goats were kept together in a compact mass, and at night were led home to their corral. Worst of all and most treacherous were the mountain lions, but of these more later. When the feed was good, Tige usually brought his family home at night. That was safer, and then, too, Tige could get his own meal of good meat and vegetables at the inn. But many a night, when feed was scarce on the hills, he would forgo his own eating that Susie and the rest might nibble and be filled. What language they used between them, who shall say? But certain it was that in the dry weather, when the herbage grew scantier and the goats leaner, they managed to tell him of their wants, and he would go hungry himself for their sakes. There came one year a dry and rainless August. The grass grew yellow, then brown, and shriveled down to the very roots. On the burned grounds where the scrub had come up, there was generally something to be found. But now nearly everything that the goats had not already eaten had wilted and turned dry and crackling. When the wind blew, even the pine needles fell off in showers to redden the parched earth beneath. One hot morning, Tige led his hungry flock out of the corral and up the trail, now so dry that the flock soon disappeared from sight in the rolling clouds of dust. On all the feeding ranges of the foothills there was not a blade of grass. They must go farther afield. There was food to be found, but one must go a long distance and climb high. Tige knew of a pasture where the air was thin and cool and where the clouds swooped down, even in the driest weather, to encourage the thirsty green things. Water there was for drinking, too. 
on one side of the range tall pines marched their hosts down the mountainside straight to the blue and emerald wonder of one of the magic pools that lie in the bosom of the sierra nevada mountains like jewels on a queen sapphire at noon topaz and ruby at sunset amethystine in the fading dusk around and above towered the great snow-caps whose glaciers were the sources of life it was a wonderful place for tige's family they spread out on the green carpet and nibbled away for dear life time here to rest at noonday one need not nibble and hunt through the whole day and into the night as they had done on the lower range tige hunted out susie from the herd and lay down at her side in the shade of the bushes it was a happy world just blue above with drifting clouds hazy peaks and green aplenty all around them when late in the afternoon tige thought of the long weary road home he thought twice the goats were enjoying life what matter if their master went hungry for a night it was no great hardship for a dog reared as tige had been so the night went by the stars came out in the high places and the moon silvered the pool's rim far away the coyotes howled but hunting was good for them in the forest no fear for the peace of the herd tige kept watch until the dawn slipped over the eastern range and the goats awoke to the daily business of the provender throughout the day tige's stomach called to him for help and when the goats were taking their afternoon siesta and there was no warning of danger in the air he bounded away over hill and canyon back to pine tree inn it was near supper time and there was a smell of frying things in the air that made his mouth water at the kitchen door he halted barked and waited hello tige well wherever were you last night wait a minute now till the meat is done can't serve you first old fellow there's company for dinner but you'll get yours tige waited the sun was disappearing behind the mountains there would be a twilight long enough for him to get back to the flock the goats must not be left alone in the dark hours there were too many dangers mary borlin was serving the meal to the inn guests why must tige wait so long and he so hungry and the goats masterless the goats yes he must get back to his duty already the chill of the early twilight was falling tige gave a disappointed howl and was gone back to the high range and his family when mary borlin came out a few minutes later with a dish of steaming comfort there was no tag across the brown range on the lower hills she could see a yellow dog loping away but he did not even look back when she shouted to him not until another nightfall did he come again but you may be sure that this time mrs borlin was ready and waiting with a dinner smoking on the stove hearth fit for the king of dogs he gobbled it no other word will explain what a dog after three days fasting will do to a plate of bones and liver and then he was off again the next night he drove the herd home that tim might know they were safe and well fed one afternoon pine tree inn had a visitation which stirred the borland household to great activity where the dusty highway came curling down out of the forest and across the goat range there crawled into sight a prairie schooner two tired horses dragged it along and a patient cow brought up the rear as they turned in at the yard tim saw on the driving seat two men 
Swinging at the rear of the great hood were two pairs of bare feet, the property of a woman holding a crying baby in her arms and a small girl. A boy, just enough bigger than the girl to be called the elder, trudged along with a big Newfoundland dog at the heels of the patient cow. Men came to Pine Tree Inn, but prairie schooners containing women and children seldom drifted so far from the beaten track. Mary Borland lost no time in giving the broadest of welcomes to the weary women. She hushed the thin little baby to sleep in her own motherly arms, made a cup of afternoon tea for the mother, and then proceeded to the manufacture of such a dinner as made Pine Tree Inn sit up and rub its eyes. There were two out of Mary's precious flock of chickens sacrificed on the altar of the horse block, stuffed and seasoned with sage and summer savory, and roasted to a brown and dripping richness. There were corn and lima beans from the little garden, and last of all, a pie made from a can of cherries that had been hoarded for three years. Mrs. Borland's baking powder biscuits were light as dreams, and there was, besides, goat milk for the children, Susie's best, and coffee for the grown-ups made with an egg and clear as clearest amber. While all this was doing in the house, things were happening in the corral. Tige had brought his family home for the night, and although he saw the big Newfoundland and growled at him, he was far too busy rounding up the goats to pay much attention. Dogs came and went, and were as nothing to him. When he had finished his business for the night, he turned and saw the boy. Tige had never seen a child before, and when the little girl slipped out to find her brother, he was more than astonished. He walked over and sniffed these two beings from another world, and he found that they were humans, and a very nice kind of humans. They patted him and pulled his ears, and before he knew it, he was in the middle of his first game of romps, the happiest and silliest dog in creation. The men threw down some hay for the cow and horses, and Tige's goats, seeing this, decided that Pine Tree Provender was free for all. Susie and one or two of the hardy ones walked over and began nibbling, the others following. Now the Newfoundland dog thought he had something to say about this. That hay had been given to his cow and his horses, wherefore he barked at the goats, and they edged cautiously away, mystified by a dog who could be so unfriendly. In the middle of his grand play with the children, Tig heard the commotion at the other end of the corral. He stopped suddenly, took in the situation at a glance, and immediately stalked the Newfoundland, head lowered, tail straight, and legs stiffened. The big dog paid no attention until Tige was quite upon him. Then there was a growl, a rush, and the two dogs met in a bow-on encounter. It did not last long. The Newfoundland was the bigger dog and the stronger. He gave Tige a shaking up and tossed him aside. The horses and the patient cow went on munching, and the goats huddled themselves on the opposite side of the corral. Tige rose from the battlefield, shook himself, and went in again, tooth and nail. Nobody lifted a hand to help him. Tim Borland was helping Mary in the house and did not see. The newcomers rather enjoyed seeing their dog whip another. And whipped Tige was for the second time. Blood was running down his leg, but there was blood, too, upon the Newfoundland's nose, where Tige had caught and held him for an instant. The battle was to the strong, no doubt of it. 
but for all that plucky tige after breathing a few times tackled his adversary again he was fighting for his principles another struggle a desperate one and for the third time tige was tossed contemptuously aside the newfoundland was king in that corral his corral tige's no use to give battle again crawl away and own yourself beaten yellow mongrel that you are said his bruised body but his heart met the cowardly instinct and whispered guard your flock while your breath lasts within you tige rose to his forelegs and looked at his enemy who bristled beside the munching cow and horses then he looked back at his own family his lifelong friends his susie he studied the situation carefully a goat started once more for the hay tige could not fight and conquer for them but he could use that discretion which is the better part of valor deliberately he headed the goat away from the hay then he turned and with all the dignity of a prince whose fortress has fallen he made a strategic retreat herding his faithful followers away from the victors no more play with little boys and girls no more sharing of his worldly goods with strangers up the road they went and out of sight next morning tim was up at cock-crow to look for his missing flock safe and sound he found them on a knoll where tige had herded them all night before he could reach them the dog was up and away the goats following in a few minutes they had all disappeared in the mist that hung over the feeding ground for five years tige had guarded his beloved flock and they loved him from susie to the latest kid they confided their lives to him unquestioningly no coyote ever dared to cross their feeding range the bears knew tige by reputation as reputations go with wild things and in his neighborhood they busied themselves hunting berries he had heard afar off the cry of the mountain lion but they too are cowardly and quail before a courageous eye thus tige kept his flock in safety more by what he would than by what he could have done it was a dry season and either tig had taken the herd or they had taken him to the upper feeding range even up here the air was hot and heavy tig's tongue lolled and it was easier to go hungry than to take that long journey back to pine tree inn moreover he had heard it again that weird cry from the edge of the tall pines and he knew that the great cat was not far off and he must not leave his family unprotected even for an hour closely he herded them all day and at night he watched supperless the next day the same in the afternoon he tried to coax the goats home to the corral but this summer even the upper range was dry and the goats persisted in nibbling even far into the night while tige poor tige although he felt an aching goneness in his tum stayed with them that night the cry was near and hungry as he was and weary he spent the whole night wide-eyed and alert three times he heard it and he strained his eyes into the darkness but saw nothing once there came to him on the night air a scent that made his nostrils quiver and the hair rise along his spine death was stalking in there among the pines at sunrise the immediate danger over tige dropped into a long sleep of exhaustion 
while the flock grazed quietly around him. Waking, he lapped water from the blue pool and took heart from its coolness to herd the goats through another long day. It was three days since he had tasted food. As the sun dropped, red and hot, toward the skyline of the hills, he tried once more to coax the herd home to the corral and safety. And now the goats, in their eagerness for feed, not only disobeyed him, but for the first time in their lives they rebelled in open mutiny. Go back to the corral they would not. Even the upper range had been grazed bare. They would show him that they knew more about provender for goats than any dog possibly could. Tige patiently dragged his starving body around in an attempt to turn them, when suddenly they broke and went scampering in all directions. Up on the high ledges were patches of delicious grass. Let Tige stop em if he could. Even Susie obeyed the voice of the wild and raced up the mountain as only a goat can, here where the rocks were steep and dangerous, there by the side of a snow-fed, tumbling stream, now across the open, now into the piney depths where danger trailed upon their hoof-tracks. Disheartened and distracted, Tige set to work to round them up once more. No more hope of a return to Pine Tree that night. One by one he drove them from their paths of peril. Now he dislodged an old whiskered billy from a beetling crag. Now he routed a yearling from a ravine. Now he drove a jenny goat and her half-grown kid from a rich bed of feed by a glacier stream. The sunset light disappeared. The dusk faded into night. And under the stars Tige still worked on with the far-away cry of the coyotes in his ears. The hours of the night rolled by, and wearily the half-famished leader climbed height after height, sending his unwilling quarries down to join the slowly assembling herd on their old stomping ground. Midnight passed, and a thin old moon came up over a snow peak and helped him with her light. Toward two of the clock at the inn he discovered his own Susie on the far side of the pool. She was heading straight for the pine forest. Out of the depths of it, as he toiled patiently around to intercept her, so near that the old dreaded scent came to him, sounded the fearsome cry of the mountain lion. Oh, willful Susie, bewildered Susie, she ran hither and thither, tige dragging his tired body after her. Now he was between her and danger. Now he had driven her back to the open, and she was safe and sound on the range once more headed for the confused stragglers that Tige had already gathered together. Now Tige was at the edge of the pool, on a dash around it to continue his task. Again that scent, strong and near. It drew his eyes up to meet on a branch of a towering pine, two other eyes glaring down like coals of fire. The mountain lion at last. The great cat, with arched back and quivering tail, poised, and leaped straight at Tige. But that one glance in time had saved him. Quick as thought, he swerved, just escaping the deadly claws that would have made ribbons of him in another instant. Like lightning, he turned upon his enemy before it could recover and spring again. Now no dog may battle single-handed with a mountain lion and live. Tige knew it. He knew that, with a flash of hesitation or a second's losing of his nerve, the great beast would overpower him. He did not bark defiance. He did not even growl a challenge. There was just one chance, and he must take it. 
that his own courage might outweigh the brute's ferocity. He sat back on his haunches and waved his paws in the air as if to show that he too had claws. He whined his defiance with a moaning sound that carried a threat and never let his eyes swerve for an instant from the two fiery balls in front of him. The cat crouched as if to spring again, met the unwavering eye of the brave dog, and stopped with a vicious snarl. Face to face with the fine courage of Tige, who was trained to guard his flock, the beast was morally no match for him. And so, through the tense minutes, quarter-hours, and hours, the dog looked down the red menace of those treacherous eyes. If he had not seen three days' fasting, it would have been easier— but hard though it was, he must do it. If he should be killed, what miracle could save his family? If he could hold the cat there till sunrise, it might slink away, afraid to do the deed that it might attempt in the darkness. The narrow moon floated silently and high over the range. Then the stars grew paler, and over the eastern peaks came the first promise of the blessed daylight. Down on the valley, Ty could hear— faint and far away the crowing of the cocks at pine tree inn chills and shivers of pain ran through his benumbed haunches the agony became almost unendurable rosy streaks of comfort began to flash up the sky down in the pool below the ledge were reflected the images of a dog and crouching cat little moans of pain as well as defiance came from tige's set jaws the end was near Either he would hold out till the end of sunrise, or succumb to the growing agony of his strained body and fall a victim to the cruel teeth and claws. Slowly the great cat began to back away, with an occasional snarl of disappointment. What if the dog should win after all? Crack! A rifle shot sounded crisp and clear across the pool. It echoed against the great pine-clad sides of the rocks above— all around the breathless hills answered with a note of victory. Where the mountain lion had crouched, there was a whirling, coughing, clawing mass of fur. Now the final impulse to destroy, it hurled itself toward Tig, missed, and rolled, crashing from the ledge into the pool below. Then a shout, Tim Borland's voice. Hi, Tig! A sound of running feet, Tig dropped to all fours stiffly and wearily. Just in time, wasn't I, old boy? We'll fish that cat out of the pool and save his skin, by gum. He is a bouncer. Where did you get the nerve to face him off? No mistake about your courage. Tig looked up in dumb thankfulness and then lay down flat until his strength began to come back. Then he once more remembered his interrupted task. He rose, looked across the pool. About half the goats were on the range. The rest were still to be herded in. Tim Borland can never be thankful enough that after midnight he had awakened with a feeling of strong uneasiness. Tig had been out three nights supperless. With the moon to guide him, he had stolen out without waking Mary, and had taken his rifle and pail of food for Tig, and had made his way to the upper feeding range just in time to see across the pool the closing act of a drama which in a few moments might have become a tragedy. Tig breakfasted greedily and rested a bit before he and Tim rounded up the last of the straying goats, safe on the feeding ground. Then the man went back to his own belated breakfast. That evening, 
a limping footsore yellow dog came down the ranges leading his unharmed family into the corral safe for the night end of section one